Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Well, many of you might be getting your travel legs back on after three very strange and uh, odd years dealing with a uh, pandemic. But according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, over 5 million Australians have made up for lost time and gone overseas since November 2021. It's a lot, isn't it? When the international borders uh, opened. Of that cohort, 3.3 million people just took a short-term trip, which is classified as travel that involves less than 12 months abroad. Uh, Bali still remains one of Australia's top holiday destinations, but I wonder how it's changed post-pandemic. Travel writer Fleur Banger, uh, who's a Western Australian resident, therefore close to Bali, (laughs) is uh, joining us this evening. Fleur, good evening. Welcome back to Nightlife. Only three and a half hours for us in the oh, plane. No, yes, exactly. Brag, brag. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, actually. If you live in the West, Bali's, that's right, it's really like going down the South Coast, isn't it? It literally is because it's on the same t- timeline as well. So we get there and it's exactly the same time. No jet lag and so quick and easy. And when you go there often enough, it does feel like your own backyard. Uh, yeah, yeah. What did you, were, were there lots of, were there plenty of punters lining up to go when you went? <laughs> Yeah, there were. I mean, the plane was full and um, it was interesting because I noticed how nervous I felt ahead of going on the flight because I hadn't been overseas since COVID began. And it felt like a lot of other people were that way too because I saw a girl across the aisle from me who was gripping her chair rather tightly with white knuckles um, and people that kind of forgot that there was, um, you know, big aerosols in their bags and that sort of thing. So I do feel like we're still getting used to it and Interestingly, I asked a lot of friends since I got back, how many of you have been overseas since COVID kind of, you know, not ended, but we've got the borders back open and almost nobody has yet. So I think it's still something that we're getting used to. Mm. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine that's right. Uh, I mean, the airlines have said this, that people aren't as used to it. So all that luggage, passport, money stuff was probably still a bit uh, unfamiliar again, was it? Yeah, I just, I noticed that I had a bit of anxiety. Like I had this list in my phone and I was ticking off everything and I kept checking the list, checking the list if I'd done everything. And then I, when I was at the airport, I was checking the passports were still in my bag, even though I knew they were. I've never been like that before, but it was such a long time. And, you know, like I made sure I did all my research online and I checked what you had to do to get into Bali to make sure it was seamless. And was really relieved I did because there were a lot of people who clearly had not uh, seen that you have to do an online um, customer form now before you go in and you can do it on arrival but you need to have the internet and most people don't when they travel overseas and so there were these little booths everywhere where you could crowd around a single screen and fill in everything and then get a print out of the QR code that you had to show to the customs officers and the queues for that were obscene and I felt very smug that I had done it all at home first. Oh so you do the customs check online before you've left? Yeah, and then you just take a photo of the QR code with your smartphone and that's all you've got to show them. They blip it and you're through. You've also got to have $50 Australian ready to hand over to immigration. They charge a fee now on entry in Bali and $50 is just the easiest way to to hand it over because they don't accept coins and they don't accept card and all that kind of stuff. So You have to pay it in cash. I think so. I mean, you can pay it in Indonesian if you've got that, mm-hmm. but um, you know, usually when you're at the airport, the exchange rates in the money change places are the worst out of anywhere, so I don't recommend doing it that way. I always see people at the airport changing money and think, what are you doing? You're just losing so much. Um, so yeah, have it ready and then you hand it over and it's per person. It includes children. They're no cheaper. Um, but if you have that sorted, then you'll be thrown out the door pretty easy. Is that right? So if your family of four, you're, you have to f- fork out 200 bucks? 
Indeed, I had to pay 150 for me and my two. Really? Yeah. yeah. What's yeah. what's that? Just that's just a that's just a hello. How are you? Is it? Pretty much. I mean, they did obviously go into sort of crisis mode during COVID because Bali mm. is fueled by tourism, and I think 85% of the economy is all surrounded it by it. And so to not have that for a couple of years was decimating for many many businesses, and there's still heaps that aren't open again. And so I guess that they're sort of clawing back what they can while they can. Mm. Anyway, is I, what, yeah. What was your impression? Is it? I mean, it's hard, it's hard to think that it would be back on its feet because a lot of the businesses and hotels must have just shut, didn't they? Mm, heaps of them did. And I didn't go to Kuta, but I talked to a lot of different taxi drivers and um, hoteliers and people like that. And they all said Kuta is still very, very quiet and very slow. And a lot of people are very reluctant to reopen just in case the spectre of COVID comes back and then everything gets you know, sort of jettisoned again. And also it's an extremely high cost to have to maintain facilities and then get them up to, you know, whatever star service, you know, you're offering up to that level again in order to reopen. And so I spoke to one hotelier who said just the investment to reopen was enormous and a lot of people just aren't willing to make it. So Kuda, very, very quiet, but we went up to Ubud and Ubud, oh my gosh, the... This um, is in the mountains, isn't it? This is not, uh, not on the beach. Yeah, that's right. Up in the jungle zone where the rice paddies are and, yeah, beautiful lush jungles. And it used to be, I don't know, it felt like maybe an hour from the airport before, but now it's two. So the traffic is very, very congested, very slow. There's probably more cars and less scooters. Uh, and Ubud just has been built up and up and up and up. Like it's not new development, but it's just, you know, shop over cafe, over warong, over this, over that. You know, there's just so many little tiny outlets on every single street and you can't see the rice paddies anymore. Mm. So it still has its charm because Ubud is very spiritual and you see these beautiful ornate bamboo um, hangings that curl over the street absolutely everywhere and the little square offerings that are filled with marigolds and lots of temples. And so it still has this really magical spiritual quality to it that's very calming that you don't sense elsewhere in Bali. So it's definitely still worth going to Ubud, but but just knowing that, yeah, it's there's a, it's very busy now and even walking on the pavement, you know, you, you kind of go single file and you've got to walk around people. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's not what it was, no. No, I mean, even five years ago when I went there, it was much more calm and you could still see, you know, nature abounding. But mm. now it's sort of these little glimpses as you go by in the in the grab car. A number of big hotels have set up shop there too, haven't they? That wasn't a feature before, although uh, perhaps it is now. Uh, in Ubud, I think they do have, but a bit sort of on the outer edges, so they still do glimpse those oh. rice paddies and scenes. And so they're not visible when you're in the main heart of Ubud. Mm-hmm. But certainly, like Nusa Dua tends to be the zone where you've got all the big names and it's very flashy, um, more high end and very safe, family oriented. Whereas Kuta, again, the big names, the flashy resorts, the enormous pools. Uh, and sort of more of that fun-loving vibe, whereas Ubud has traditionally always been the karma, let's go and do some yoga or a breathwork class or something like that. Um, but interestingly, the the food standards in Ubud, you know, that has generally been a Seminyak thing where you can get the really flashy, amazing restaurants. And it was happening in Ubud five years ago when I went last, but it's now, you know, there's a lot of really excellent food options. And I'm so pleased to say that I was there for seven days in Bali across three different regions and I did not get Bali Belly. Mm. Okay. So 
Yeah, Auburn um, go, but it's way crowd, more crowded than it used to be. If mm. you want a more relaxed beach, beachy thing, Sanur is still okay, isn't it? Yeah, so Sanur is interesting because it's kind of under the radar, even though it was the original tourism destination for Bali. I yeah, think the was, first yeah, ever yeah. resort opened there um, back in the 50s. And so it's maintained its quietness. It's lined against the ocean for about five kilometres or so. And it's really lovely because there's a, a walking pedestrian path and also a little scootering path, which is right on the beachfront. And so it's off the real roads, you know, there's no actual traffic and you can hire a little electric scooter with, um, you know, a a passenger seat behind you for $5 for one hour. And that's all you need to go up and down and just see everything. And my kids loved being um, passengers on the back. Mm. So yes, Anua has still got some of those Balinese style resorts, which are very garden oriented um, and leafy and, you know, have small pools without it being grandiose. And there's lots of little cafes on the beach. Um, there's lots of warongs, which are the locally run and owned cafes that do traditional food. And I went to a really good one that only does like one menu, which is um, deep fried fish, fish head soup and rice. And that's what you get. And I think it cost $5 or something mm-hmm. crazy like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Sanua um, has, a, has a very lovely vibe to it. And I would, um, yeah, highly recommend that. And it's also right next to where the ferries depart if you want to go and see some of the islands nearby, which are kind of like what Bali used to be, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago. Mm. All right. You also uh, visited the southern tip of Bucket Peninsula. Yeah, uh, Angasan. Yeah. So I'd never been down there before. And where, where, I, where is that? So when you look at um, Bali, the airport is sort of in down the southern end, but in the middle. And then there's this little diamond shaped peninsula at the bottom. And so that is where the Bucket Peninsula and where Angasan and Uluwatu are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting because I think a lot of Australians are sometimes dismayed at the quality of the beaches in Bali. You know, you go for the relaxing holiday, everything's really affordable and you have just great downtime, but the beaches just don't really scrub up when it comes to what we're used to at home. However, no, if you don't. go down... yeah. <laughs> But if you go down to Angasan and also Uluwatu, the beaches are Australian standard, like mm. they're raw sugar kind of grainy sand and very clear blue water with a bit of reef, bit of snorkeling zone, just beautiful. And so I stayed at a very fancy resort there that looks over that ocean scene and it's just stunning. But the weird part is getting there feels quite third world. It's very basic down that end and there's like massive potholes in the roads everywhere, the very narrow roads. Um, there's dogs um, sort of sleeping on the road's edge. There's cows with cowbells, um, all sorts of, you know, chooks just rummaging around and they've got their little chicks mm following them. So it has this more basic rural feel to it. And yet, you know, this five-star resort that charges $800 a night also exists there. So it's a bit of a contrast, Mm -hmm. um, but worth exploring, I think. And you don't have to stay in the fancy, expensive resort. You can just go there for a day visit and, you know, hang out on the beach and eat at the beach cafe and still enjoy these beautiful, beautiful beach stretches. You uh, indulged in the ice baths in Uluwatu. Uh, Uluwatu. Uh, ice baths are on trend at the moment. <laughs> Tell me about that. 
Oh, yeah. They're very trendy and hence, you know, as a travel writer, I thought I must do this and write about it. And I'd never done one before. And so I took a Grab, which is the Balinese version of an Uber, to Uluwatu. It cost me $3 to go for half an hour from my resort at Ungasan to Uluwatu. And um, went to this new adults-only retreat that has all these sort of wellness things that you can do. So breath work and um, ice baths and I don't know, all sorts of things. Uh, hypnosis as well, um, which I thought was interesting. And so I chose to do an ice bath, which meant that I agreed to immerse my entire body in six degree Celsius temperature water for two minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was shocking. <laughs> so, the first part of it wasn't very good. Did it, did it get any better after you were in there for a bit? Well, the weird bit is you get in and you go straight under. That's the advice. And that was all fine. It was like my body just hadn't really caught up yet. And then I was lying in this water or standing in the water. It's quite deep. And then it was like my lungs were being wrung out like a sponge. I couldn't get enough air in and I was hyperventilating. And the guy who was, you know, the teacher was saying, it's okay, you're right, you're calm, just, you know, calm your breathing swallow. That's what's meant to calm you down. And I was shaking my head and shaking my finger and I couldn't even get a word out. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to uh, breathe. And so I I sort of half got out and then he talked me into just getting back in and I managed to do the two minutes. And I actually would recommend it and I would do it again. Ice baths. Okay. All right. Now, any other recommendations for people who don't want a traditional Bali holiday? Yeah, I mean, the cool thing is Bali just has so much accommodation and so many different regions that you can kind of find whatever it is that you want. And I find Australians, um, or West Australians perhaps, tend to go for the obvious stuff that they've always known, which is like the Cooter and the Seminyak and whatever. But those places, to me, they don't really feel like Bali anymore. They're just highly developed and very much that, Mm. you know, breakfast included kind of resort experience. So it doesn't take a whole lot to go out a little bit further and to look a little bit harder. And you just need to zoom in on a map and you'll find heaps and heaps of um, places to stay that are still incredibly affordable. And there's still generally a massage place down the road that charges, you know, 15 bucks for an hour and that kind of thing. So, uh, and it's also very easy to get around these grabs. You know, you download the Grab app, which is just like the Uber That's app. That's like Uber, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you have that on your phone. You don't have to use your credit card. You can use cash. And I recommend, you know, changing money when you're over there because there are money changes everywhere. And if you look for the ones that are fully enclosed with glass and air conditioned on the inside, they tend to be the most credible ones mm-hmm. um, where you're going to have a better experience. So, yeah, all of that stuff, even in the sort of less developed areas, you still have access to those things. They're harder to find, but they're there. Um, so, so sort of get off the beaten track a little bit and explore a little bit further because I think that's the best way to see Bali. It is expanding all the time, all that development. So you just have to go a little bit further to reach Bali's okay. true heart. All right. Fleur, good to talk. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.